Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Nationals podcast. Joining us today, formerly of the Locked On Marlins podcast and current host of the Locked On Prospects podcast, and also the creator of, of what is it, Baseball Anywhere? Is that what it's called? Is that correct? Oh, come on. Just come on, Josh. Come is on. Is that correct? Josh. Did I get correct or is I wrong? Justbaseball.com. Justbaseball.com. I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. My head is, is I'll be honest. My head is I've turned squarely towards college basketball and college football for the purposes of Locked On Big 12 podcast, and today st- both starts, so my mind is everywhere, but I appreciate you taking some time to join us. Of course, man. Of course. Uh, I'm super excited to talk some offseason, and uh, yeah, college basketball getting underway. I'm pretty amped about that, too. Obviously, a Syracuse guy, so it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's embedded in me. Uh, yes. 2-3 zone. I'm getting mentally yes. prepared for that, too, but uh it's going to be a nice little break, especially when we have all the chaos that will be in this offseason. I'm enjoying the free agent stuff starting right. to happen, but uh, when stuff starts to hit the fan, uh, we'll have college basketball, and I'll be listening to, to Locked On Big I, I, I Here's the one thing. So we're starting with the MVP conversation, and is there any other sport where the free agency starts and we still don't know like who the awards winners are? Like, is that not... I understand they want to keep it kind of the news cycle, and this, this is one way you could do it, right? November 18th is when they're going to announce it. But November 8th, they announced the MVP finalist. And November 18th, 18th, they're going to announce who the MVP is. Yeah, I thought they were going to sit on it until the news came out, like work stoppage happening next week. And then they'd be like, oh, by the way, Shohei Otani won the MVP. Because <laughs> everybody right. knows it's going to be Shohei on that side. Uh, but yeah, it is weird. I always felt like it was a bit earlier before I like them dragging it out a little bit. I would just like to have some like uniformity to it. I just feel like Mm. it's a little bit random this year, but the NL is going to be wide open. I'm really excited about that. I I think that's one of those where you're going to look at the voting and you're going to say, Whoa, it went this way or Whoa, Mm -hmm. this guy got this many first place votes or he didn't get this many votes. Whereas you look at the other situation over in the AL spectacular seasons across the board, but you know, you can't beat a pioneer uh, in right. Tani. So that's why I think the national league gives some very similar players. I think with, with Harper and Soto, their resumes are so similar mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. going to be really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. So like, you know, these guys are all proof. The six, the finalists are all proof about like the kind of sport baseball is right. It's just, it's different because these guys, none of them played in playoff games. All no. six of the finalists, none of them did. And it doesn't mean they didn't have great years. Um, that is – it just shows you like like winning is just a bit different in baseball because of what it takes collectively. I think the one thing to Bryce's cre- to Bryce Harper's credit, um, and I do think Bryce wins it. I think looking at it now, I actually think – I think Juan Soto should win it. It's not me being a homer. I just – I think he should. And they're pretty – I mean, like you said, they're pretty similar – I think the one thing Bryce does have going from him from a story perspective or from a competitive perspective, like he was keeping that offense in, in the hunt. He was the one driving everything offensively for them. And so I do think there is something that should be considered of, look, this guy basically single-handedly, you know, in, in terms of a day-to-day basis was the guy who was carrying them toward uh, playoff contention, I guess. You agree it, with that? It, 
It's. I, I think you're totally right, and, and it's tough because at the end of the day, neither team made the playoffs, and that's that's important. And it's like, okay, are we talking about? Because I've had the same mental negotiation with myself, where I'm like, okay, am I going to give Bryce Harper more credit for playing games that I perceive as more, uh, you know, more important than the games that Juan Soto played when they ultimately all, in hindsight, were equally unimportant because neither mm-hmm. team made the playoffs. Like on that side of it, I, I understand. But Bryce Harper kept that Phillies team in the playoff hunt uh, well longer than they should have been, right? Like, without without Bryce Harper, their season's over in July. And especially mm-hmm. once Reese Hoskins goes down, they're, they're donezo. They're donezo. And I, I went over and uh, watched a game. I covered a game uh, when the Phillies were fighting for their lives, played the Mets towards the end of the season. And Harper was doing everything. I mean, mm-hmm. like he's scoring from first yeah. on, on a ball in the gap. He's diving headfirst into home, and then he's making a diving play in the outfield. I know he's not a great defender. Soto was actually better this year. Uh, but you just saw this, like, desperation from Bryce mm-hmm. Harper, which was cool out of a $300 million man. Yeah, um, and also not not something that we all – like, not something that we always saw, right? It's no, not no. – he's, he's not Brett Gardner out there all mm-hmm. the time, right? But he looked like it. He looked mm-hmm. like it. And on, on the Juan Soto side, I think from him, he had to have – the singular most dominant second half we've seen in a long time. And he had exactly that because if he had a really, really good year and didn't dominate the way he did in the second half, we're not talking about him as, as a guy, I think for the MVP because the nationals just were, were not really relevant, unfortunately, Mm. but he was so good, just so freakishly good. I mean, he was getting on base almost half the time Uh, hit for so much power, didn't strike out, played the best defense of his career. I think if you so if you really want to emphasize the individual component of it, and we're going to say team doesn't matter, because I still don't know what the true philosophy is behind what an MVP is uh, by voter standards. If we're going right. by the individual season, I mean Soto probably had the better season. Yeah. But are are we talking about what Harper did for a team that was a bit more relevant? And I think that might end up the narrative there, whether voters consciously think about it or not. I mean, both guys just. So special. I, I, I want to make it clear too. When we talk about one, it's not coming at the expense of the other. They both right. Were no, so it's not. Good. Well, I also question is like how much you know these voters probably didn't watch many Nationals games, and I don't blame them. The one, it, it's a double-edged sword because for one, I think the thing that might hurt him, and if you watched a lot, you know this. Nobody really respected anybody in the lineup outside outside of. No. I mean, Josh Bell deserves some respect, and look, actually, the offense was pretty decent. But like, if you're pitching against the Nationals lineup. You're going to make Alcides Escobar, Lane Thomas, Josh Bell, make those guys beat you. And, yeah. and there were some times those guys actually pretty decent. Like the offense was not the big issue of the Nationals in the end of the season. The problem for them was they depleted their pitching. I mean, they had no starting pitching and their bullpen was depleted. And that's that's what cost them a lot of games. I mean, their bullpen lost 41 games this year, which is I think it was 41 or 42 games. That's unbelievable. But I think the one part of this, while the games weren't relevant, to me, what stuck out about Juan is the fact that when the roster changed and it dramatically changed, he was, you know, he was the third guy in the line of the knockout, you know, the knockout row of Schwarber, Turner, Soto. Those two guys disappear, and what happens? He's he was better. Yes. He's actually better with no protection. And the thing, and that's the thing is, that's to me what makes him. And I, in my opinion, I think he is now becoming the best hitter in baseball because oh. number one. He talks about how he wants to get better. Number two, it manifests. Every, he talks about it, and it happens. He said he wanted to win a gold glove. He wasn't quite there yet, but he's starting to get a lot better at defense. He, he said not this year he wanted to win, but obviously down the line. He's starting to get better. They don't want him to steal as many bases. I know that's a goal for him. We'll see where that kind of goes. But, you know, and also the approach. Like, the thing for him is 
he, he doesn't press at all. Like he's fine. Like he knows, okay, walk me, go ahead and walk me, do it. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to say just because I've got Lane Thomas and LCDs Escobar ahead of me and Josh Bell behind me, that doesn't mean I'm going to change my approach. I'm not going to press more. I'm not going to try to do too much. And with that approach, I mean, he was dominant in the second half. And that's why I think for him, like, you could make an argument that guy could hit one, he could hit two, or he could hit three, and and you or four or four to or be four. honest. You know, or four to be honest. But you wouldn't be wrong with any four of those spots. And that to me is why he's becoming, you know, he he's dominant. I mean, he is a dominant hitter. I mean, I think, you know, so my my co-founder at, at justbaseball.com, Peter Apple. He brought this up the other day, and, and at first I was like, this is ridiculous. But then I thought about it, and I was like, no, this is actually a really interesting talking point. Like, I would offer Juan Soto 15 years, $500 million right now, mm-hmm. right? And and the long-term contracts are I've always aged terribly. I mean, they, they're yes. always they're always yes. a disaster. I don't even care. I think Juan Soto will hit until he physically is in a wheelchair. Like, he he's just that good. And we were talking about it, and we're like, is it crazy to say 15 years, $500 million? And people were responding to Peter saying that's too low if i'm his agent i'm saying no right and I'm like, oh my god that's a half a billion dollars right it's half a, it's half a billion dollars and you know what it might be too low it might be like he's that good because there's so little guaranteed in the game of baseball especially mm-hmm. when it comes to the offensive side of things but juan right. soto is one of the safest bets to just give you a good at bat you talk about him not being afraid to take his walks. And I think that's something that's so rare in today's game to see the low strikeout rate, high power, and high walks. Like, he will take whatever you give him. And that's something that you don't really see. 525 on-base percentage in the second half. Like, if I'm a voter and I'm looking at that, I'm going to have a really hard time not voting for a guy that had a 525 on-base percentage right. in the second half. 199 WRC plus. So he was legitimately 100% better than, than the competition. He walked 27% of the time. That's that's Bonds-esque, really. Yeah. Like, that's that's the closest thing that this modern version of the game can get to to Barry Bonds. Because we know pitchers are, are just even more different than they were when Bonds played. It, it, that's something that, like, I, I do. I'm, a, I mean, being a Marlins guy, I don't feel too bad for you, but I did feel bad that you had to cover the Nationals this year. But the fact that you got to go every game and watch Juan Soto hit, I mean, that's, that's yeah, it was cheap to watch him it, it, to do it in person, too. It was pretty cheap down the back stretch, yeah. you know, with how bad they were. But you know, like, that's that's worth the price of yeah. admission, oh, even yeah. if it's a little bit more expensive. Whereas for the yeah. Marlins, you know, I'm, I'm watching. Watching some really bad hitters hit. Yeah, you are. You are. Yeah. Um, on this, let's put a pin on this. But who do you think wins it? Who do you think wins the MVP? You know, I think the narrative is going to carry Harper yeah. in terms of, of the competitive nature of of his stretch, and Harper really turned it on at the end too. Mm-hmm. Um, but personally, I, I think I would I would personally vote Soto. Um, right. I, and it's funny because I gave out Harper, and I and I was a big proponent of Harper, but it was right around the time Soto started heating up. And I still was kind of writing Soto off because of the Nationals' irrelevance, with all due respect. Mm-hmm. And no, uh, yeah, they were he, tr- he he kind of transcended that. And yeah. uh, when you have when you get on base more than half the time uh, in today's game with the kind of freak pitchers we have today, that's an MVP to me. I don't care if they won ten games, and I think they would have won ten games if it weren't for Juan Soto in the second half. So in the, in the National East too, I mean the pitching crop they have in this division too, like he did it against that division. Also, yeah, we say hyperbolic hyperbolic sometimes. Like it feels like he's on base half the time. He was literally on base over half the time. I'm with you. I think I think Harper wins. 
Either way, it's not a robbery, right? It's one of the situations where I and I'm not really upset. You feel good and I'm about not upset. it. Either way, I'm not upset either way. Yeah, and I mean, and and here's the thing, like, you know, when we all look, we look back on his Hall of Fame, probably eventually Hall of Fame career, you know, I think people will say, hey, yeah, he could have easily won the MVP at 22. Uh, I believe, well, 22 season, he's now, I think he's now close to turning 23. I always forget how uh, where he is at this point. But all right, let's uh, let's get this little bit of podcast business out of the way here first. Um, our friends at betonline.ag, and I'll give you guys a little nugget right here. You can still bet on the MVP right now. Uh, BetOnline's got the odds. Bryce is minus 250. So wow. it was plus one, uh, 165. Yeah, and if you really want a long shot, uh, you can go Fernando Tatis Jr. at plus 2,000. So friends, go to betonline.ag today. They have co- tons of odds just like this. You can find them uh, there. New interface, really clean. It works well. Use the promo code Locked On. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, Locked On, and you'll receive a 50% deposit bonus upon your first deposit. All right, so the next thing we got to talk about is is free agency. Or, and I want to talk about free agency in relation to the CBA going on. So I expect free agency for the big names to be slower because obviously if I am a GM and I'm an owner and we're talking about moving the cap floor or, you know, the salary floor, excuse me, and the luxury tax uh, number, I would not sign a big contract because that is going to affect those, those things for years to come. Um, the one market I actually didn't think about, we saw Andrew Haney sign sign yesterday. The relievers, you can actually that you might see some movement, right? Because those are typically shorter term deals, and they really aren't going to put you unless your team is pretty close to the cap. Which you know, ironically, the Dodgers, I think they are. Um, you know, it's just like you don't leave, you don't leave sweat deals like that, right? Like you can still kind of pursue those guys in a meaningful way without having to worry too much, but. To me, the heavy hitters, that's where we're going to see a lot of a lot of waiting. Yeah, you know, if you're an agent, I feel like it's it's almost malpractice to to sign a long-term contract and then not know what some of the stipulations might be mm-hmm. down the stretch. I, I think if, if there's some transparency there in terms of what some of the things are that they really want to hammer out in the CBA, uh, maybe some, some agents will feel confident in the fact that uh, they may not affect their client and whichever player it may be. I think we could see some of those older guys still land. Even mm-hmm. I know Max Scherzer says he wants five years. So I feel like Scherzer is going to wait it out. But the Justin Verlanders of the world, like there should still be some big names landing in places prior to the CBA, you know, halt. I think that there's still going to be a level of urgency too to get some deals done before that because we don't know how long the delay is going to be afterwards. So it's a little bit of a catch-22. I think you're spot on on the long-term deals. Those are always slow rolling as is. Yeah, um, yeah, there anyway. Because a lot of people like to see where the other shoes drop first and then, you know, see if they want to go desperation mode. I know that a lot of people say, oh, they want to see where the the big fish go and then go from there. But most of the time, most teams aren't players for those big guys. So they kind of want to see how that all shakes out too. And you want to snatch up the – Marcus Simeon potentially, who I don't think would sign necessarily, but if you have a shot to lock up Marcus Simeon now, uh, but you're also, you know, waiting to see what's going to happen with Correa or whatever, the teams that miss out on Correa are going to go up, up, up on the offer for Simeon, and you might get priced mm-hmm. out. So if you can get Simeon to take a deal, you do it. So I think there's a little bit of that balance where you're trying to figure out which side you're on. I think we could see some trades. You know, we saw the Tucker Barnhart trade, not the mm-hmm. most exciting thing in the world, but that was like the first second. I think we right. will see some trades before the CBA because teams are going to want to know what's going on uh, during that potential layoff because they're all still doing work. They're still going into the office or 
working from home and doing their research and getting ready uh, for when free agency or when everything opens back up again. And uh, they're going to want to have a better idea of where their roster is at. So I expect some moves specifically in the trade department and short-term deals to really start happening, though, in the next month. Yeah, and then, you know, let's get to the actual negotiate, like the, the collective bargaining negotiation that's coming up here. So, look, these two sides are really bad at, at coming together and finding common ground. Uh, they always have been, the MLBPA and the and MLB. I know people always say it when you say the MLB, but uh, yeah, so MLB and the MLBPA, which that's correct, um, they have always had a tough time. People blame the Dodgers for some reason for winning a World Series in a shortened season. That was not their fault. The season was shortened because the uh, the Players Association in the league. Um, so stop blaming the Dodgers, people. It's really dumb. But like that's the last time we saw them negotiate. They were really bad. And the, the latest news that we're hearing is the non baseball stuff is coming, or the non excuse me non money stuff is coming along very well. Obviously, it's going to be decided by by the monetary things. You're big prospects, guys. So I'm sure your focus is not just on the money, but a lot of it. Your focus is on so how service time is going to be calculated and arbitration. And these are a lot of things that baseball fans, you know, don't understand. And I don't blame them. You know, it's, it's, it can be convoluted and it's not their fault. You know, understanding baseball contracts is, is pretty difficult. Um, what I will say, and I said this yesterday, Arm, is this. Think about like, you know, Juan Soto's 22 and he's and he's going to become arbitration. Uh, he's Well, he's in arbitration now, whatever it is. And he'll be eligible for a contract extension a lot sooner than most guys are. Um, you know, guys like Kyle Finnegan on the Nationals is uh, he has got like two or three more years of arbitration, and he's like twenty nine or thirty years old. At that time in the NBA, you're on your third, fourth contract, right? This is a sport where the players need to fight to get these things lowered because it is a rough, rough road. I'm sure you know covering the you know the minor leagues from the type of pay to the uh, you know the accommodations to making it to the show, and actually, you know, just because you make it to the league doesn't mean you're all of a sudden some you know moneymaker, unlike the NBA, right? The minimum salary in the NBA is a lot higher than guys here in, in the MLB. So uh, in, in, in baseball. So kind of what are you watching here as we approach and, and what are you hearing on this uh, negotiation? You know, the one thing that I've, I've been hearing, which is a really nice and refreshing uh, sentiment, because I think a big problem and a lot of the things that you mentioned there, a big problem why we weren't seeing a lot of the CBA stuff uh, being focused on uh, prospects or minor leaguers and and uh, your clock and all of those things is because they don't have a seat at the table. And everybody that has a seat at the table already endured whatever they had to endure in terms of service time manipulation. And at that point, it's too late, right? Chris Bryant uh, is not going to be able to undo the delay that the Cubs put on his service time. And he did file a grievance and he did do all those things. But if he goes and, and is fighting for that, it doesn't help him. And yes, you could say, yeah, they want to help the future guys, but they're focused on the things that they want to focus on now because there's other issues at major league at the major league level that are affecting them. I think this is the first time that we're seeing major league players and major league, the MLBPA uh, start to stand up for these minor leaguers who don't have a seat at the table. That's why I think we're going to see, I don't know necessarily what it's going to look like totally because the one year of control is obviously huge to these teams. I think we might see a little bit of an alteration in the way that the clock is managed. Um, I just think it's so weird that you can, you can have a guy up a couple weeks later or a month and a half later and, and it's a whole season. I think they might do it a bit differently. I don't know exactly the full details on that, but I know there's a few different options potentially on the table. And I think that's going to be something that they sort out. And that's very, very encouraging. I'm just glad that from what I'm hearing, there's more 
more emphasis on the minor leaguers who know, you know, never had that seat at the mm-hmm. table. And that, that definitely has me feeling really good from that end. Uh, f- for an example of what you're talking about here, I think another really good example is World Series champion Adam Duvall. 33 years old. He had a mutual option on his contract. Declines the mutual option because he hit 38 jacks and was a gold glove finalist. Right. And guess what happens when you decline that mutual option for $7 million? He's going to arbitration. So even though he had an option, he's going to arbitration because in the middle of his career, he struggled so much they sent him back to AAA. The clock stops. So he he actually had one less year, and now he's going to arbitration. He, he thinks he's going to make more than $7 million. He probably will. But that's just a crazy concept that a 33-year-old can decline his mutual option, and then the team control kicks in anyways. I think that's outrageous. Also, arbitration to me is like one of the weirdest things in sports because it is a player arguing for what they're worth and then a team arguing for less for a player that they want. Want. Right? So you're like, we want you, but we don't want you for six million. We want you, you know, for five. Um, it's, you know, in, in other sports, what happens when you have that? You get to go to free agency is what happens, right? You know, that, that's that's what happens. Not in baseball. And to me, that is, you know, that's one of the the things, you know, it's weird because, like, I think the biggest problem baseball has here is that you cannot lose games anymore arguing over stuff that people, common fans, don't understand, right? Like, that is not a good look. Like, if somebody asks me, Josh, why, are, why aren't they playing? Well, they're arguing about service time and, and when you become arbitration eligible. And they were like, what does that mean? Why? Well, that sounds ridiculous. Why can't we figure that out and play baseball? Like it's really important for the players to stay fast on this um, and, and hard. And I understand why, but like it's, it is at the same time a bad look if, if we miss games because of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, and we're going to get to the point where what uh, we see in, in the NBA too, where players and in football, when football players want a new contract, they, they sit out Sit. Um, yeah. that, that culture hasn't quite made its way to baseball yet, but what if someone loses their arbitration case and, you know, now they want out and, and, and mm-hmm. that just takes one domino to fall uh, where he feels like he's not valued. He loses his arbitration case and he's going to say, trade me or I'm not playing. Uh, I don't think that's impossible. And once that starts happening, now you talk about a bad look. It, it, it's definitely something that I don't think would fly in any other league. I think it would really, it would be a, an issue. Um, I, that's why you have like restricted free agency in the NBA. Right. And I think that's a little bit more of a, you get to set the market by the market, right? Like the, right. the other, te- what other teams are willing to pay is is what he is worth, and and that's mm-hmm. what they'll offer. And you have the option to match it or not. Maybe you can put a, a ceiling on that, right? Like nobody can come in and offer Juan Soto forty million. Um, so you know maybe they come in and and the maximum under arbitration is that you offer him twenty million dollars. Obviously, for someone like Juan Soto, the Nationals don't think twice about it; they match it, and, it, and the rest is history. But for someone that might be more of a tweener. You got to make that tough decision. Am I going to match this this offer for a guy that may or may not be worth twenty million? I think you you should be putting the ball more into the team's court than rather than you know literal court. Uh, I just don't yeah, really think that, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, but again, you know, I don't like providing or like talking about issues without providing solutions. I think that that would be something that would be nice. I just don't know if baseball will ever shift from that, and that might be just too big of a whale uh, for the players to move. But I think a great starting point would be just the clock itself, because if we're going to have this this system that really isn't advantageous for the players at all, even players that have fantastic seasons at age 24, arbitration pays you only so much. 
uh, at least let's make it so they're hitting free agency a bit earlier. Uh, there's no reason that Adam Duvall should be <laughs> going to arbitration right. at 33 years old. And I think that is the happy medium is we stop the service time manipulation. The clock starts the second you go to the big leagues. Right. And, you know, we find a way to, to be able to, to regulate that a little bit. Real quick before we get you out of here, uh, do we get rid of the abomination that is no DH in the National League? Do we? A- absolutely. Like, come on, man. Thank God. Uh, it, it's, it, you have two different I was in the World Series. We're like, it's like Framber Valdez is up. And like, this is stupid. This stupid. is really stupid. So stupid. I, and there's enough chess in it, too. Like, you, you still have to decide how many of your bench players you're going to use. We saw AL teams and spots pinch hitting pitchers, right? Zach Granke pinch hit. Like, it still happens. There's still strategy. There's still enough. Uh, it's it's just I can't watch pitchers strike out forty percent of the time anymore. It's just not fun, and and I I'm, I'm sure that one will be a done deal, and that will be good for baseball in terms of viewership. I really do think so. All right, Arm, where can people find you and your work? Uh, you can find me at Arm Waiting Eight on Twitter, just BB Media as well on Twitter, and at JustBaseball.com, where we'll be doing some off-season previews and a lot of prospect rankings and free agent coverage and, of course, CBA coverage as well. So I'm uh, looking forward to following up with you soon on, on all this crazy stuff. All right. We'll be talking to you soon. Arm Layton uh, of the Locked On Prospects po- podcast and the founder of Just Baseball. There you go. I got it right. In my there you go. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. Take care, brother.